This is the Unusable Podcast. Don't get so close to the mic, I'm spitting all over it. Hello and welcome to the Unusable Podcast, where we discuss the importance of user experience in technology and the world around us. Uh, my name is David Ball. I'm joined by... Andrew Waite. And we're going to talk today about what, Andy? Uh, usability, I hope, which um, is good considering the name of the podcast. Yep. Okay. So you've got a dictionary definition of what usability well, is. Well, hold on. Before we do this, should okay. we say who we are? Oh, okay. Why Fair we enough. Care, why we care about usability. Oh, yeah. I care about usability. So uh, I'm a web developer. Uh, we both work in the field of web design and technology. And yeah. so user experience is kind of important to... Um, yeah, it's important to me as I'm building user interfaces and, and things like that. I want to make sure that everything that I build is going to be usable. And um, once you start to think about usability, you think about it in like, the whole world. So yeah. how you use everything, how you use technology, how you use buttons. In, interfaces are like everywhere, aren't they? Yeah, well, we're forever sending each other messages, aren't we, when we spot something that isn't quite right with a product <laughs> that we've bought or something as stupid as a door that opens the wrong way oh, will be... The usability of doors. Yeah, wow. well, that's a, that's a whole episode for the future, I think. Oh, I was going to talk about it later on. Yeah, um, well, we can come back to that. But yeah, and I, yeah, I'm a product owner, so it's important for, for me to get usability right in a product that yeah enables people to use it more easily and therefore impacts our bottom line. So usability is crucial. Really. But we can come back to that a bit a bit more, I think. Um, you, you can yeah. tell me more about your bottom line. <laughs> <laughs> that comes that comes in later episodes when we're struggling for, for listeners. <laughs> oh, we need to... Nobody wants to listen to your bottom line. <laughs> right, come on, move on. Yeah, moving on. So, definitions of usability. So, yeah, I did a bit of research beforehand. Good, because I didn't. Yes. I want I wanted to look up what usability is. And the truth is nobody really has a, a singular definition. Um, the dictionary definition is the degree to which something is able or fit to be used, which true, but I think it's simplistic. Yeah. Have you got any better definitions? <laughs> uh, yeah, I've got... Well, so according to ISO 9241-11... Oh, this is why you were Googling ISO numbers. <laughs> yeah, which is, which is the ISO standard for the ergonomics of human system interaction, specifically part 11, usability, <laughs> definitions and concepts... <laughs> <laughs> I thought like, this was going to be an interesting <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no, you mean that ISO standards and definitions, right? Anyway, according Go to on, according to them, it. it's the extent to which a product can be used by specified users to achieve specified goals with effectiveness, efficiency, and satisfaction in a specified context of use. I didn't listen to any of that, but what usability? <laughs> I think to me. <laughs> <laughs> Usability is important. It's more important than those words. Well, that's what I, why I kind of wanted to <laughs> to look that up because, or bring that up, I should say, is because I I, I think it's a very dry. Um, yeah. It doesn't really allay what it what it what it really is. But I everyone think. already knows what usability is, right? You know, even though you don't know. Yes. When we're talking about usability, we mean user experience as well, yes. right? Although I suppose we have to define those two things. Well, is there a difference? Well, you said something really interesting to me yesterday about the motorway. 
Oh, tell yeah, me that again. Yes, <laughs> I will tell it to you again as if it's the first time you have ever heard of it. And we, yeah. So, a motorway is great for usability, but poor for user experience. It's very usable. It's usable because it's functional. It, it will get you from A to B, and there is really not much friction. I'm talking about metaphorical friction, not the literal friction of your no, tyres against the road. Um, <laughs> but there, there isn't much, you know, friction. It's highly usable. But is there a great user experience? Are you going to write home about it? Are, you know, are you going to tweet that you've just had a great motorway drive? Probably Ooh. not. And so, and so, what they say is that um, actual user experience. It's more like a, a country road. So, you know, you might say, you know, that's the, a great driving road. Oh, so you um, enjoy it. So user experience is you're enjoying your user experience. Yeah, I think, well, according to this definition, at least, user experience goes, goes beyond. It's usability plus some enjoyment. You know, a potato peeler is probably usable, but is it? does it have a great user experience? Oh, yes. So the reason why I said that I think everyone knows what a good user experience is. Imagine a door. There's a really good podcast uh, by 99% Invisible, and they, they talk about Norman doors. Yeah. And so there's this guy called... I think you should explain what a Norman door is. Okay, well, so there's this guy called Don Norman, who's okay. a usability expert, and he works for Apple, and uh, he's, he's an expert. And uh, so he had a problem when he... I think when he came to England, actually, he was not sure about the light switches, because, you know, rocker switch light switches... It's difficult to know if they're on or off. Say, if you've got two, like one upstairs and one downstairs. And anyway, so it's irrelevant. Well, no, I think that now you've got me interested. So, in the UK, normally, if it's a single light bulb switch, it's when it's pressed at the lower half, then it's on, and when it's pressed at the upper half, it's off. Normally, yeah, but not if you've got like one upstairs and one. Oh, you mean like a two-way might... switch yeah. to turn it on downstairs? And yeah, okay. I'm anyway, so he wrote this book about yeah. usability, and uh, part of that was doors. So you know when a door works. And you know when a door doesn't work. And when it doesn't work is when you're accidentally pushing one that pulls and it's matching the face and you're embarrassed about it. This actually leads on to something that I want to say and I think it's what usability is to me. And that's the... Coming back to your point, because you said you know when a good door works and I don't think you do. When When a good door works, you do not notice. Oh, I see. And I think that... If you've had a good user experience, you don't notice. Well, I think usability, at least. I think user experience, for me, is more because it, you know, if it's great, you will want to do something about it, like tweet about it. But usability, good usability, is invisible. In day-to-day life, good usability is invisible. So oh, okay. it's taking you... the friction out of everything to the point where you just get on with life and don't notice it. So you've got the thing done that you needed to get done. And yeah. So the door's job is to open and close. I've opened a th- Thousands of doors in my life. Really? That yes. many? Yes. <laughs> I am a highly qualified door opener. <laughs> and I think I'm going to put that on my CV. Um, Don't. But, um, anyway, so the reason why I was talking about Don Norman in this, this country, so he was noticing that, that some doors have a, um, a pull handle. But it's a push door. But it's actually a push door. Yeah. yeah. And so they've got to say, they've got to have a little instruction on there that says pull or push. And he says that if you've got to have instruction then the doors failed right and yeah. so everything everything being an, an interface the interface itself should tell you what it does and what it's for it should allow you to discover the things that it that it does so a, a door that has like a flat plate you've got nothing else to do other than push it so you immediately know how to how to work it if it's got a pull handle 
you're immediately thinking, oh, I need to pull. Yeah. I think there are some cases. I think they're, they're, they're niche. But I think there are some cases where that what you just said falls down. So I think, I think in the main, yes, things should be self-explanatory. But I think, for example, someone at... I don't know, the, the BBC who is operating a very complicated broadcast desk probably is going to need a higher level of, you know, you're going to have to assume that that person can read and have labels if, you, if you're building oh, yeah, that okay, desk. Okay, yeah. You need to make sure that people can read and there might be a little bit of education on the desk, but there's no point in making something deliberately more complicated for them. True. And I think that most things, you know, the things that we deal with, the things that you do with day to day in your life, the thing, you know, websites, I think certainly from a, a consumer standpoint, i.e. people going on to buy something on a website, you know, yeah. that should be frictionless, self-explanatory, and you shouldn't ha- need to have complicated labels saying, if you need to check out, press this button and then this button, and if it's a Tuesday, press this button, because that's just <laughs> silly. What websites are you going <laughs> But no, you're, yeah, yeah. So an example of an e-commerce website that things need to be easy. If they're not easy, then you're not going to make as much money. Someone's going to abandon halfway through. You don't want, for example, a complicated checkout process, something like that. And like I said, I think that good usability is invisible after the first time, really. It just becomes the norm. I think it's only when it's bad that we really notice. You know, I get angry at, at, at checkouts in the, you know, the self-checkouts in the supermarket. Oh, I know. Yeah. I know. Because they have poor usability. And I notice because it's poor. If those checkouts were great, I would just go on with my day. But because they're so terrible. What's the biggest gripe you've got about them? Oh, where do you even start with self-service <laughs> checkouts? T- to be honest, I think it's the lack of trust from the supermarket in that there are so many blockages in there that stop you from doing something until someone's come across and pressed 85 buttons. That ruins really the to... usability. And actually, their cost saving, I would imagine, of, of not having to employ someone on a checkout would offset any sort of minor shrinkage or loss that they would have from people stealing things or being a bit light-fingered with it. Yeah, my my opinion is that they should just make it slick. I would I would probably choose a supermarket that implemented better self-service checkouts over one. Yeah, that that really? would be a, that that would be a selling feature for me. Do you think I'm unique in that that would be a No, because imagine if you were say buying online, you would you'd choose the website that you're buying from based on the usability, wouldn't you? So yeah, why I not? Think apply it's, that I in think the it's real a life? factor. I mean, it's not the only factor that goes into my online buying choices, and it wouldn't be in the real world either. But it, it I mean, for what me, is there to choose between most high street supermarkets? Not a lot. I mean, there's a slight price difference with some, but you know, if you're talking about sort of Tesco versus Sainsbury's, most people it's just which one's nearby. Yeah. Um, for me, if I was buying online, I definitely would choose the best user experience, or I would more likely go with one that already has my details saved. Yeah. I hate having to enter your details again. So things like things like um, if it remembers what you bought last time and suggests things, you would totally go for that. It's not that. It's that I don't want to have to enter in my address, my credit card, wait for an email to confirm my account. It just so, all slows, slows it down. Now, that's amusing to me because that is something I'm okay with. But literally, that it's interesting because that amount of friction, as little as it is, is enough to stop you from switching to a competitor. Yeah. So if a competitor was able to simplify the sign-up process where somehow they found your address automatically or had a switching process, you'd probably be more likely to go with it. Well, all those things I mentioned, technically, they do get auto-filled by Chrome, don't they? You, uh, sometimes. So, Although yeah. it, it forever is, is auto-filling the wrong things for me. And also, did you see that 
this is a slight tangent, but I think Go for it. it's interesting. Um, did you see that demo the other day where someone showed a demo where they can steal details from the autofill without you realising? Oh God, don't make me worry about that. So you know, you know how it, you see some form fields and you click on the first one and it will say autofill these details and it fills the whole form out. Yeah. If you have a hidden field on that form called like address or something, <gasps> it will autofill hidden fields as well as visible ones. Oh, right. And then when you click submit, you might be submitting details that you don't realise because they've been autofilled. So that is a complete tangent keep, to usability, but it's, it's interesting, I think. So if I keep the same website and never ever, <laughs> never ever buy from any other websites than the ones I've already signed up to, then I'll be fine. Yeah, I guess so. Although your shopping habits, I'm not sure, are making interesting listening for other people. <laughs> should have a financial impact for a business and it should give you an edge so a better experience for your customers so an edge over competitors and yeah if you remove friction from things like checkout processes then it should go up but I mean there's lots of other things to look at like you know Google Analytics you know the number of people you know things like bounce rate you know that's that's essentially a, a great metric for usability you're talking about your about websites again but what about what about doors right I'm obsessed about these doors if you're door to your business is rubbish and wrong and you've got loads of people like trying to pull instead of push or the other way around they've immediately had a bad experience with your company or business yeah yeah i know you can't really measure that can you i think you can i think in terms of a real world example what you could do is is come with a way of measuring the number of people that stumble or fail to get through the door first before actually getting through it. Or yeah, maybe, okay. Maybe some people try and get through it. I've been to businesses before where the door is so sticky that you think the business is closed and you walk away and then only later do you realise that actually it was open and the door was sticky and how many the people... perfect analogy. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's a, uh, a, a checkout abandonment. Exactly, yeah. If, if, they're, if they're recording that, that, they could find out their checkout abandonment rate. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, so yeah, I've been looking at um, car websites and most of them, you know, going back to what we were saying um, earlier in the podcast about a sticky door and it can put people off before they've even got into the shop. Right. So a lot of car websites have this horrible survey that pops up literally as you visit the homepage and says, have you got time just to answer a question? Why are you visiting our site today? And then you answer it and then it goes... Can we ask you some more questions after you you finished your visit? But you've not even done anything yet. It's literally on the homepage. Yeah. To, to me, that's the equivalent of someone standing at the front of the car dealership as you walk in, going to look at a car, going, um, can I just ask you a few questions, please? And and how peed well, off would an actual user be? Well, the questions, though, like, have you been able to find everything you're looking for today? Oh, you know, I've just arrived. There's all sorts of questions. Well, I think most of them, it says, you know, keep it open and answer it after you've left. But I think it's it's just really bad experience to, to, to put a blocker in the way of people. When they're trying to find some information on your website and the first thing they get is this horrible pop-up asking them to answer questions. Do you think that puts people off? It puts me off. Would you never go back to that website ever again? I usually purposefully give wrong answers. <gasps> oh, just... you'll screw the analytics up. Yeah, I'm like, whatever. if you're gonna if you're gonna block me from getting the information that I want to get to, you can just I'm gonna yeah purposefully throw them off in their statistics. I hope I have some statistical significance in their sample, but I'm, I doubt I do. What's the worst thing you could do? Just answer. Oh, I just answer it incorrectly. Wrongly. Yeah, I just go. Why are you visiting our website today? Uh, 
buying a company car and then it usually goes like when are you buying it and i'll go oh tomorrow this isn't even terrible information you should say things like i want to buy some cheese <laughs> it's not free text <laughs> oh is it not is it just <laughs> Unless, unless I, unless I use developer tools to like change it to add my own option if I want to, maybe their back end is like loose enough that it doesn't validate the options, and I actually they get one person that says I want to buy some cheese in their database. Yeah, but that's my gripe anyway that you can't get on any car website without first having to bypass this horrible survey. What have you got to tell me about? Okay, from, from Twitter. Okay, so I saw. On I don't go on Twitter. I, you I, don't go to Twitter at all? Not really. I, th- I think it's just... It's full of people tweeting. Yeah. Okay, so one of these people <laughs> tweeting, it was... I, I, I didn't write down who it was and I can't find the tweet now. But it was a picture of a uh, the Apple Watch, right? Yeah. And so it was updating. And so it had a progress bar around the side. Mm-hmm. Sort of like circular progress to say it's updating itself. In the middle it said... Yeah, which is what you'd want, isn't it? Well, yeah. But in the middle it says updating. Okay. But the, the problem is, this is a watch. So a watch should, at its bare minimum, right, tell you the time. But it wasn't telling you but the not time. when it's updating. You can't use your laptop when it's updating. Yeah, but this is a watch. Okay. Surely it should always tell you the time. To, to, to be honest, no, I'm, yeah, it would be a much better if it had like a, a backup state or a, a sort of a reduced state when it was updating, it could still tell you. Because presumably that doesn't require much processing power or... I've no idea. It's got, I, but it's might, got, it might be really but complicated. But it's got enough processing power to still be able to, to show, to show, you, a, to show a screen and a progress bar. So presumably it wouldn't be that much more difficult to show a, a, a clock or some kind of time output on there. Yeah, I just think that when something is, is a watch, it should be a watch first and foremost. And then all of these extra features that it can do, and it can do quite a lot, it's a clever thing. But it would be great if it used like progressive enhancement. Is uh, that progressive enhancement, or is it just good failure or something? I don't know. Like, well, I think that it's not. You've a, got a watch. I feel you like want pro- it to be a watch. I feel like progressive enhancement is is something that's not in in its normal usable use usage state, isn't it? Whereas, like, this is this is an, an anomaly when you're updating it. It should be a rare anomaly when it's being. Well, I suppose so. But updated. if you if you glance at your watch, you probably. Pretty much True. always want it to it be, would be a way better the time. Yeah. And it's great that, you, that a watch will do all of these extra things, like check your emails and stuff. But it's, at its basic, surely you should do its basic Tell you the functionality. Time. So what else would you consider basic? Because a lot of watches that are considered basic still have, for example, and I'm thinking of the, the classic Casio here, a stopwatch and um, an alarm. So do you think those should still be accessible when it's when it's updating or no? Just tell it the time. Yeah, I probably agree with you there. I'm just kind of being <laughs> devil's advocate really. So when I think of progressive enhancement, I always think of uh, escalators. So yeah. escalators if it's they a good break, one if they break yeah. if they break, they just become stairs. Yeah. So it is basic, it's doing the th- the thing that it needs to do. And then an escalator will move you up or move you down. Yeah, when but, it's working, but, when it's if, working it fa- but if it fails. But is that not but again, is that not progressive enhancement so much as elegant failure? I feel like there's a maybe a difference there. I don't know, because Are we ruining all my all our material for a future episode about progressive enhancement, by the way? Well, if we can't talk about it for five minutes, then how can we talk about it for a lot longer? <laughs> True. <laughs> True. Well think about a, a lift, right? So a lift if the, a lift fails, it's unusable. Completely broken. You can't go anywhere. Yeah. 
But if an escalator yeah, fails, but, but you can still I'm, use it. But what I'm saying is, I feel like progressive enhancement to me means, for example, on the web, giving a better experience to people who, whose user agents accept it. But either way, those are normal success states of the application. Do you know what I mean by that? So like an online checkout that, for example, supports extra features in the latest latest Chrome. Yeah. Even someone on old IE is still using it to establish to, to, for what it's supposed to be used uh. for. So progressive enhancement is allowing someone that supports extra things to do more things. There's a better term for this that I should have been using all along, which what? is graceful degradation. That's the word I was looking for. It was so that's, the, so that's yeah. when something will, instead of failing completely, it falls back to something that is still a usable state. That is exactly what I was looking for. And so I should have used that term straight away, and I would have looked mm, much smarter. Better. And yeah. I should have known what it was when I had it in my mind as well, but I couldn't think of it, and I called it elegant failure or something. It's <laughs> <which is laughs> the non-trademarked version. Yeah. Um, but yeah, going back to your watch thing. Yeah. Graceful degradation. Is that yeah, it? would have been where it falls back to its basic state. Exactly. Of telling yes. the time. We've got the right word for it. Right. That Congratulations, us. It's a roundabout way. Oh, my God. <laughs> Fantastic. Experts on usability. So, that's it. Thank you for listening. Um, it would be great if you haven't already, if you subscribe to our podcasts on whatever you use to get your podcasts. If you want to get in touch with us, uh, maybe suggest something that we can talk about in future, um, then f- uh, you can message us on Twitter. We are at Unusable Podcast. Okay, bye. Bye.